Jesus heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word for God. Jesus has power over evil. He has power over darkness. Well, good morning, friends, um, family. Wonderful to have you here with us this morning. Again, if you're visiting with us this morning, I'd just like to extend a very warm welcome to you. It's wonderful that you're here joining us this morning. Um, we're in a series this term looking at the various miracles of Jesus. And uh, we're doing this in the context of a whole year where we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And this morning we come to this passage in Mark's gospel that Anna's just read to us, Jesus heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit. This same account is also found in Matthew and Luke's gospel, uh, but Mark has the most detailed account and it reads very much like a first-hand account, like somebody who actually witnessed what was going on. And it's widely accepted that the gospel of Mark uh, was dictated by the apostle Peter. And so it would make good sense that Peter is actually the one telling the story that we have for us this morning. We'll just explore, we're going to open God's Word as we do each Sunday and see how God speaks to us this morning from this particular passage of Scripture, Mark 9. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. 
Now, it would be really helpful for you if you do have a Bible, or I encourage you to bring one, because as I like to always ensure, it's so important for us to consider the context in which we find these stories. We're not systematically working through any particular gospel this year, and so it is really helpful for us to see what's happening around it, because when the writers of Scripture put these stories together, they do it in a way that Everything that's happening around it is really important for the context. And the context for this morning's story is the transfiguration, which is found in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is a very pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. It marks a turning point where Jesus is really about to start heading towards Jerusalem and facing the reality of the cross. Uh, But on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus takes with him three of his disciples, kind of the inner three, uh, Peter, James, and John. And on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured into kind of this glorious, almost angelic type being. And he's actually having a conversation with Moses and Elijah, two Old Testament prophets, one that represents the law and one that represents all of the Old Testament prophets. And in this moment, what what is happening is uh, God is, I guess, in a way demonstrating to these three disciples that Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament of the law and the prophets. They're seeing Jesus in all of his glory. Uh, But it is also, as I mentioned, kind of a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. It It is a real high point for Jesus because in this moment we also hear uh, the Father God speaking powerfully over his son saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. These exact same words were also spoken over Jesus when he was baptized. And there's parallels here between the transfiguration and the baptism of Jesus. The baptism and the transfiguration would be considered real kind of epic high mountaintop experiences in the life and ministry of Jesus. But immediately following kind of that mountaintop experience where he is affirmed by his father, he encounters the devil. He encounters temptation of the devil. And we see that when Jesus is cast out into the wilderness after his baptism. But the incident that we're looking at this morning follows immediately from the transfiguration. It would be very easy for us to read this as a story as a father and a son, and it actually is about a father and a son. But it's also very much about the power struggle that's going on between the heavenly realms and the realms of darkness. And of course, as I mentioned at the start, we will see that Jesus has the victory and Jesus overcomes. But it's important for us to understand the context. It's also, if you've got your scripture open in Mark chapter 9, you will see that just before the transfiguration and shortly after the incident that we're looking at this morning, Jesus predicts his death. And and so the cross is very much in view. And as the cross becomes closer, the power of the enemy will become more apparent. Mark 9.15, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. We read that there is a significant kind of commotion going on with the scribes, with Jesus' remaining nine disciples who weren't on the mountaintop. And we will see the father and his son. Um, and Jesus comes down from uh, the mount with his three remaining, or with his three disciples. And all of a sudden, we see that the, the hopes and the expectation of the crowd is raised because Jesus is on the scene. 
One little insight that I kind of gathered this week from this just tiny little verse is, for me, this highlights the authenticity of Scripture. You see, normally the formula is that after a miracle, the crowd is filled with awe and wonder. But here Jesus hasn't even done anything and the crowd are filled with awe and wonder. And that particular detail is before the miracle, not after. Again, it's just a tiny little thing that as a, a student of Scripture, I just go, there's so many things about Scripture that point to its authenticity and the, the high hopes of the expectation of Jesus. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, the first question that I ask is, have the disciples driven out spirits before? Is this something they have previously done? Or is this perhaps the first time that they've encountered this situation and they weren't up for the task? Well, if we just go a little bit earlier back in Mark's Gospel, in Mark 6, we see where Jesus sends out his 12. He sends them out two by two, kind of on a prack, if you like. This is what the ministry of Jesus is going to involve. And he sends them out. And we read in that account they went out and preached that people should repent they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them so clearly this is ministry that they have exercised before but in this particular moment it was proving to be very difficult for them as i mentioned a moment ago this is a story about a father and a son and Luke's gospel tells us that the son, the boy who was, had experienced this trauma, uh, was the man's only son. And here again we see that the evil one knows exactly where to disrupt and distort. The evil one knows how to get to people. He gets to them at their weakest point. The devil had not attacked the man directly, he had attacked his son and I'm sure that many of us can think of ways that the devil has tried to disrupt and distract us by perhaps doing something to others around us, particularly those closest to us. But I also think that Mark is the author, again, with the transfiguration in the background of this incident where the Father, God the Father, affirms his deep love for his son um, and he is now, and as Jesus now is on his way to the cross... We almost see the brokenness of the father's heart over what is going to happen, the torment that his son will experience. And here is now that on visible display, a father and a son. This story is very much about power and control and who has it, who has the power and ultimately who has the control. This evil spirit has power and control over the boy. The father tells the story. And in a sense, as the story goes on, uh, the, 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 the spirit within the boy is, is, in a sense, within the boy, but is, it is also external to the boy, uh, as we will see when, Jesus, when the spirit encounters Jesus. Who is in control and who has power? We read in John's Gospel that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. 
And that's exactly what we see going on here. We see the presence of the evil one in the life of this boy. As the father gives testimony of how this spirit has sought to kill him several times by throwing him into the water and the fire. Wherever we see a distortion of the image of God within a person, we see the devil at work. And that's exactly what the devil was trying to do in this instance, was distort and destroy the image of God and bring death rather than life. What we see with the disciples is, in a sense, a classic case of ministry without Jesus. Jesus is on the mountaintop with three of his disciples, and the remaining nine are here, in a sense, trying to cast out this demon. They've got some previous experience, but they don't have the powerful presence of Jesus physically with them. And how many times have you and I been in situations when we've done ministry without Jesus? Because it becomes so commonplace. And I would be the first person to put my hand up and say that there are lots of times that I sometimes knowingly, perhaps unknowingly, do ministry without Jesus. And it's such a reminder, it's a rebuke in a sense, to remember that all ministry is Jesus's ministry. It's, it's, it's not our ministry. It's not my ministry. It's Jesus' ministry. And if, if ministry is done without the power and the presence of Jesus, it just falls flat. Because ministry is always done in the context of opposition. And we see in this moment that there is opposition. And when ministry is done without the power and the presence of Jesus, it falls flat. And this passage that we're looking at this morning is a strong rebuke to me and to all of us who seek to exercise ministry without the power and the reliance on the presence of Jesus. And it's so easy to do. And we must remember always to bathe whatever we do in prayer and to remind ourselves that it is his ministry, not our ministry. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now we see Jesus's frustration come out in this moment. One of the things that I've uh, really has been highlighted to me this week through this text is there's so much emotion in this text. There's the power and control. Um, There's the frustration. There's the emotion, the desperation of the Father. We see a lot of emotion in this morning's text. And scholars are sort of unsure if the frustration that Jesus speaks is necessarily directed towards his disciples and for their lack of faith. Some say it is and some say that it's not. And the reason that they would suggest that it's not is because there are five other times where Jesus uses the word or speaks of this generation in Mark's gospel. And on all of those occasions, he's never referring to his disciples. So it could be that Jesus's frustration in this moment is more to do with the crowd with the bystanders. 
those who kind of look at ministry from a distance but don't actually choose to engage. And sadly, churches are full of people who are in that boat. Uh, spectators, those who are kind of prepared to look at ministry but not actually take that step of getting involved in ministry. Now, I can understand why people choose not to do that because it's safe and it's convenient. But if we are disciples, if we are followers of Jesus, then we are called to step out of the boat. And yes, we are going to sink, but our Saviour is there to pick us up. And that is why it is so important that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we step out of the boat, ministry happens and the power of Jesus is on display. And that's the kind of ministry that I want to be a part of. Amen? That's the kind of ministry that you want to be a part of. I don't want to be part of a church that is just spectating. I know you're the same. I want to be a part of a church that is full of men and women, disciples of Christ, who are stepping out of the boat, stepping into that uncomfortable zone, but remaining fixed on the person of Jesus. And that's where the power is found. Jesus could also have very well been frustrated at the scribes. Um, It's likely that they were actually, in a sense, like spies sent from Jerusalem to try and find out more information about Jesus, to try and bring a conviction against him. I imagine in this moment, you know, you think about Jesus, his eyes are now very much toward the cross His ministry will soon be coming to an end. And you can feel the frustration. There's potentially the lack of faith that his own disciples have, trying to exercise ministry without the power and the presence of him. Uh, There's the crowd, all of these people who, again, just there to see another potential miracle, just for entertainment. And then even the religious leaders of his day are trying to conspire against him. You can absolutely appreciate the frustration. And then the description, the very thing that had been described to Jesus turns into a real life experience. It's no longer just a theory. Like Jesus is literally witnessing the very thing that had been spoken of about this boy. It's being exposed. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Similar to last week with the lady with the flow of blood, the first thing that Jesus does is he offers this father a voice. He gives the man the opportunity in front of the crowds to give his testimony, to tell his story. Jesus doesn't just step in and and save the day. He does. But first, he gives the man a voice. And for me, this just highlights that Jesus wants to listen to our story. He's actually interested in hearing us talk to him about the things that we are experiencing. And so 
this, this passage frames prayer in a way of seeking the compassion of Jesus. In today's passage, we see a father who is desperate, a father who has a story to tell. And in this context, prayer becomes a moment of telling God my story and seeking the compassion of Jesus. That is relatable to us. Whatever your story might be, Jesus wants to listen to your story. And the invitation is to seek his compassion. I really like the fact that this highlights the reality that belief is hard. We might think that belief is easy, but this passage highlights how difficult belief is. Sometimes it's really hard to believe that our situation could change. If something has been the way it is for a very long time, it is very hard to believe that it could change. And that's the situation this man finds himself in. His son, we don't know how old his son is, but he has been this way from childhood. He's brought his son to the disciples of Jesus, hoping that they might be able to help. They were unable to. And in a sense, they were exercising ministry in Jesus' name. And he is now at that point of wondering whether Jesus himself is, going to be, is even going to be able to deliver his son from this affliction. Belief is hard. There are things that we find hard to believe can and could change. On one hand, we believe that, yes, with God, everything is possible. On the other hand, there may be a situation that we think, uh-uh, that ain't changing. <laughs> How many times have we done that? Particularly with hard-hearted people that we know. <laughs> and we might think, uh-uh, that person's never coming to Christ. That's not for you and I to decide, is it? Belief is hard, but with God all things are possible. I love this quote from this author and pastor, J.D. Greer. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Uh, it's not the exclusion of doubt. In a sense, Jesus is saying, bring your faith, but, but bring your doubt, and I will, I will meet you halfway. The, the man is, in a sense, asking that Jesus would fill in the gap. <laughs> so I have some faith. Lord, I need you to fill in the gap. You know, and... For me, I think, wow, that's a prayer I can pray. God, I have faith to this point. <laughs> I found myself this morning in prayer saying, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. But I'm comforted by Romans that tells me that God's Holy Spirit yearns on, on, on my behalf, on our collective behalf. And so even to come and say, Lord, I, I have faith in you, but I'm also struggling to have faith I'm really struggling to see that this situation could turn around. So I just pray into that space. I pray for your faith to fill the gap where I don't have faith. Jesus looked at them and said with man... Sorry, again, this is just a little further ahead in Mark's gospel. That's why it's in black. 
When it's white, by the way, just a little footnote, when it's white, that's the passage we're looking at today. And when it's black, that's like a, an extra text that I've added in just to try and help explain a little bit further. So a little bit on Jesus says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It's a theme that we see coming through, all things being possible for God. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. In this situation, we see that things are actually going to get worse before they get better. And there's that real point of conflict when Jesus comes face to face with this evil spirit. And we see kind of that situation where I mentioned the, the heavenly and the dark realm. Um, and things actually get worse. It, it looks so bad. It looks like the child has actually died. But he hasn't. The spirit has been cast aside. And this story points forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Things are going to get a lot worse for Jesus before they get better. And there's a powerful message there for us. When we step out of the boat with our eyes fixed on Jesus, things are going to get a lot worse before they get a lot better. That may not be an encouraging quote to have up on your wall. <laughs> but, you know, we look around the world at the moment and we just think, goodness me, things are just getting so bad. Could they get worse? Things are actually going to only get worse, friends. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because in Jesus, things are only going to get better. Resurrection is only a result of crucifixion. This is the God we follow. This is the path of discipleship. It's not a path of comfort and ease. If we step out of the boat, <laughs> things are going to get worse before they get better. Look at Peter. Things got worse for him. He denied the Lord three times. He went down so dark in his spirit. But then Jesus reinstated him and he went on to become a leader of the church. He preached on Pentecost and th over 3,000 people came to faith. Things got worse before they got better. You know, you might find yourself wanting to step back out of the boat and back to that state of being a spectator. Step back in. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and trust that he will always lift you up when you fall down. You know, ministry is a journey. It's a journey of doing ministry with Jesus, and it's a journey of doing ministry without Jesus. And, and through growth and Christian maturity, we increasingly become more focused and fixed and reliant upon Jesus. It's the journey of self-reliance to reliance on him. The power of death can only become overcome by the power of life, and that's Jesus. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind 
can come out only by prayer. We could and probably should assume that the disciples in their attempt to cast the Spirit out were indeed drawing on the power of God and of Jesus. That's how Jesus would have taught them to do this, that in the name of Jesus there is authority over evil spirits. I think it's fair to say that the story we're looking at today is much less about the the battle between the disciples and the evil one than it is the battle between Jesus and the evil one, that we don't overcome the spirits. We don't overcome the evil one. Only Jesus can. It's a lesson for the disciples that they couldn't do it without Jesus, only he could. And so, brothers and sisters, when we feel inadequate in life and in ministry, the answer is prayer. A sense of inadequacy, a sense of not going anywhere, a sense of not even having the strength to step out of the boat, the only place this can drive us is to drive us to our knees and to pray. And when we pray, we open the door for God to work. Because when we pray, we assume a posture that says, God, you're in control and I'm not. And that's when God can move in and take residence and work. And it's a wonderful reminder when we pray that it's his ministry. It's not ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful story this morning. We see you, Lord, overcoming the power of the evil one, which manifested in this tormenting spirit, this child. We see, Lord, that you, in a sense, raise him to new life. Father, I pray that you might, in a sense, raise each of us to new life in you, where we enter into discipleship and we enter into ministry in Jesus' name with our eyes fixed on you, where things often get worse before they get better. The path that leads to the cross is a most difficult path of sacrifice and pain, but it leads to life. So I just pray this morning for my brothers and sisters, for the men and women in this room, for all of us who call on your name, that you would strengthen us with the resolve to keep our eyes fixed on you, that you would strengthen us with the resolve to be a people of prayer. And that you would strengthen us with the affirming power of your Holy Spirit that in the name of Jesus, all things are possible for those who believe. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.